Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Today we'll be hearing God's Word from Genesis chapter 36. Uh, when I asked Suzanne what she really wanted for our 18th anniversary, she said, I would really like for you to preach a sermon on the descendants of Esau. She said, that would be most exciting. Let's, let's go to church and have a sermon on the descendants of Esau. No, she didn't, she didn't say that at all. Um, we have Genesis chapter 36 this morning because, as those of you who are regular here know, um, last week was Genesis chapter 35, and this week is Genesis chapter 36. And as I read Genesis chapter 36, you will probably wonder, first, Jimmy, why didn't you skip this? Um, and secondly, you'll wonder... More importantly, God, why did you put this in your word? And that is a very good question. Uh, the answer to the first one's easy. I didn't skip it because we haven't skipped anything yet in Genesis, so why start now? Um, <laughs> but, but, but also because it's the better question to say, why did God put this in his word? For if God put this in his word, there's a reason for it. And if all of scripture is God-breathed, as we believe that it is, and is written for our encouragement and our instruction, Genesis 36 is just as much a part of Scripture as anything else. Uh, so I'm going to read Genesis chapter 36, and then we will see what God has for us this morning. Uh, and so as I, as I read it, think about that. And I want you to think about it in two ways. One, in general, why is this here? Perfectly good question to ask. What is God telling us with this word? One thing that may help you to remember that, to, to see a little bit of that, is to remember who first heard this? The first people that Genesis was written for were the people of Israel as they, had left, um, as they had left Egypt and were on their way to Canaan. And they were trying to figure out uh, their history. And so uh, Genesis chapter 36 may make a little bit more sense if you remember that this is talking about the descendants of Esau. The people hearing it are the descendants of Jacob. So... Genesis chapter 36. These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Oholibamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Basimath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz, Basimath bore Ruel, and Oholibamah bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he'd acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau. Ruel, the son of Basimath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to, Esau, to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibiah, and Esau's wife. She bore to Esau Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. 
These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Timon, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Ada. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son, the chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholibamah, Esau's wife. The chiefs Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs born of Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir the Horite, the inhabitants of the land. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvin, Menahath, Ebal, Shepho, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Anna. He is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Anna, Dishan and Oholibama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Cheran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bil, Zavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aaron. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishan, Ezar, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, the name of his city being Dinhaba. Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah, Bozrah, reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place, the name of his city being Aveth. Hadad died, and Samla of Masrachah reigned in his place. Samla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul died, and Balhanan the son of Ekbor reigned in his place. Balhanan the son of Ekbor died, and Hadar reigned in his place, the name of his city being Pau. His wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, daughter of Mesahabad. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places by their names. The chiefs Timnah, Alva, Jetha, Aholibama, Elah, Pinan, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is, Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, even we're not quite sure what to do with it at first. But we trust that this word was given to your people long ago, and it was preserved for us today, so that this is your word for us today. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and sink it deep into us. That it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts. Changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I said I had my mystery bag and I forgot to bring it up with me. And I'm not going to keep you in suspense. I will pull something out of it right now. And what I have in my mystery bag, it's a little bit hard to see but this is a small necklace. This is a necklace, this is Suzanne's necklace. And if you looked at it closely, you would see that this is a map of the United States. This is a map of the United States, but it's a map with hearts on it. And the hearts on the United States show the four states in which we have lived. Uh, that we have lived, uh, we were both born here in Virginia. Well, I wasn't born in Virginia, but I grew up in Virginia. We, but we both grew up in Virginia, and then we lived together in California, 
in Missouri, in Atlanta, and back here in Virginia. And when we came back here to Virginia, we kind of, we adopted this. A friend made something like this for us at first. And we kind of adopted this four-state theme uh, in a lot of ways. We have a lot of things with these four states. We have watercolors of the four states. We have coasters of the four states. There's, there's a little bit of, let's see, that's Georgia, California, Missouri, Virginia. We have uh, Starbucks mugs of the four states. We have all these things, the four states in which we've lived. Why do we have these things? We have these things because these things make sense of our life. These things shape the story of who we are together. And so we kind of, we spread them around, we, we pick up on these things because they make sense for us. They help us to find our place, to find our family story together as a family. We're a family that has circled around the country, coming back here to the place that God has put us. And we see the same thing. This is a, why do we love genealogies? Why do we talk with our family members about who's related to who? And who is this cousin? And who is that cousin? And we pour over books and census records to say, where, where did we come from? Where did the family come from? What's going on in Genesis chapter 36 is the Israelites are making sense of who they are. They're finding out for them, this was far more meaningful. These names meant something. If you're, if you're a, a, real, a real Bible student, you might even recognize some of these names. Did you hear the son that was Amalek? You may have heard of the Amalekites. You may have heard, certainly, you know, we've heard of Esau. It was emphasized several times. Who are we talking about? Esau, Edom, Edom, Esau, Esau, Edom. These Edomites you're about to run into Israel, this is where they came from. This is who they are. This is how they line up. It's helping the people of God to make sense of the world that God has put them in. Now, you might say, that's all, that's all well and good for them, but... But what does that mean for us? <laughs> why, why did this stick around? Why did God keep this around as part of the book of Genesis to be preserved and passed down for us? Because while these names don't make all that much sense to us day in, day out here in 21st century America, what they do tell us is that God has put everyone in their place. That all the world we see, this is a message throughout all of Genesis, starting from the account of creation, when God ordered the world in, in the sun and the moon and the stars and the land and the sea. And we saw way back at the beginning in the creation of the world that God has put everything in its place. Not only the things that we call creation, plants and, and animals and that kind of thing, but people. God has put all people in their place. He has given them their places to live, their people to be connected to. He has set the story and the framework and the map that makes sense of our lives. And so as we look deeper into Genesis 36, we can reflect on that. What does it mean for us that God has put everyone in, his in their place? If God is the one who puts everyone in their place, then we must recognize his hand in that. And if we recognize that God is the one organizing the world, God is the one putting people in their places, then we can start to make sense of the chaos of the world that we see around us. But if we fail to recognize God's hand, then we start to organize the world according to our own ideas. And we start to get locked in to, I just am who I am. 
I have, you know, these things that I like. That's just who I am. I don't need to change. Everything should revolve around me. Maybe the things I, about me that are suck. Maybe the things that I like that I feel good about. Maybe the things that I feel bad about, but I get stuck into them. But God says that's not who you are. You have to organize yourself around my world, who I say you are, where I say you come from, what family I say that you're in. That's how we recognize his hand. We recognize his hand in our lives. We recognize his hand at work in the lives of other people, even in the midst of the chaos of this world. So if we look deeper into Genesis 36, we can see three ways that God puts everyone in their place. Three ways that God puts everyone in their place and in that three ways where we must recognize his hand. So the first way that God puts everyone in their place is that God gives his gifts abundantly. God gives his gifts abundantly. Secondly, God sets his image everywhere. And thirdly, God uses his family for blessing. So God gives his gifts abundantly. God sets his image everywhere. And God uses his family for blessing. It all comes from God. God is the one who puts everyone in their place. First, he gives his gifts abundantly. One of the things that's fascinating in these genealogies, and I'll admit, this, this was a long one. This was a lot of names. But even in all those names, there, there, were some, there were some fascinating nuggets. And the first one was right at the beginning. Did you catch it? This is in verses 6 and 7. Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. Esau had been given abundant gifts by God. Now keep in mind, Esau was not the chosen one, right? God had chosen Jacob over Esau to carry on the line of blessing. Jacob was the one who had been chosen by God from before he was born. Jacob was the one who had gotten the birthright, somewhat deceptively, but he got it. Jacob was the one who, again, deceptively, but got it, got the blessing of his father, Isaac. Jacob was the one with the blessing, but still here is Esau, blessed abundantly by God, given abundant gifts by God, so great that he could not dwell in the land with Jacob. He had to go to another land because God gives gifts abundantly to all kinds of people, not just to the people who believe in him, not just to the special family that he has chosen. God is such a big God, such an overflowing God, that he gives gifts abundantly. But sometimes this is hard for us to recognize. And, you know, it's not just us. We can see people who we don't think are good enough. Like Why, why does this person, that is not a nice person, why do they seem to be doing so well? Why are they successful? Why do they seem even to have a little bit more than me? And this is, this is not just a new, this is not a modern problem. This is a problem throughout the Psalms. The Psalms talk about this all the time. Why do the wicked prosper? God, where are you? It's a legitimate question to wonder. Where, why, we, we expect that the good people should get the good things and the bad people should get nothing. But God's, God gives his gifts abundantly. 
And so when we recognize his hand in that, we recognize that God reigns his blessing on all kinds of people, then we can be at peace with what he has given to us. And instead of getting caught up in jealousy and bitterness about what we don't have and what others do have, we can see that God has been generous with us, far more generous than, he deserve, than we deserve, because God is a God who gives gifts abundantly. And so then instead of being jealous, we can be thankful. Thankful for the blessings given to us, thankful for the gifts given to others. So God gives everyone, gives his gifts abundantly. Secondly, God puts his image everywhere. A couple more interesting notes that came out here. Uh, in verse 24, these are the sons of Zibion, Aya and Anna. He is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. Now this is fascinating because this is not even, this is not even a descendant of Esau. This was, this was a descendant of the Horites who were the people in the land of Seir before Esau moved down there. What's the significance of Anna finding the hot springs in the wilderness? I have no idea. Really, no idea at all. Presumably, it meant a little bit more to the people back then. But it means something. This Anna, he did something good. He was an explorer. He found things. Hot springs should be a blessing for people. So it was a good thing that he did. Somebody who was not of God's family at all, but God used to do something good because God sets his image everywhere. There's another fascinating note here in verse 31. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Now, kings and Israelites, as you may know, if you know your Bible well, are, are a mixed bag. But on the whole, ultimately, in the Bible, kings are a good thing. Right? Ultimately, Jesus is our king. Kings provide order. Kings provide stability. Even for Israel, though it had a murky beginning, uh, the kings were, on the whole, supposed to be a good thing. And yet this idea of kings was there before the Israelites. Kings did not come first from the Israelites. The Edomites had kings first. They came not from the special line of God's people. Why? Because God sets his image everywhere. And he uses all kinds of people in the world to bring good things out, good things for his creation. Theologians call this idea common grace, that God gives grace commonly to all people. And that we can learn then as, as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we can still learn much from the gifts that God has given to other people. If you think about one of a, a, a great blessing in our modern world, democracy is a great blessing in our modern world. It has been good for very many people. It has lifted many people out of poverty. It has provided justice and freedom for many, many people. And democracy may fit, may fit with the Bible, but it's not like democracy came out of the church. Democracy came first from ancient Greece, from the pagan Greeks. And yet it is something that God used for his own purposes. And so we can recognize this. We can recognize God's good things. We can recognize God's image in all kinds of people. And this changes the way that we look at people. Instead of thinking that we have to have all the answers in ourselves, all the answers about everything, or even all the answers about everything in the church. In the Bible, we can look for God's truth wherever it can be found. And we can look at all people and say, how does this person, as flawed and broken and sinful as they might be, how does this person reflect the image of God? 
the character of God revealed to us in the Bible, how does this person that may not even believe in God reflect God's image and goodness? And what good are they doing in the world? It changes the way that we look at things. So while we recognize that God gives his gifts abundantly to all kinds of people and God sets his image everywhere, it's still the case here in Genesis 36 that God uses his special family for blessing. And we can't miss that here. Because yes, we saw in the first couple of verses that Esau had been given abundant gifts so much that he had to move. But where did he move? He moved out of the land of Canaan. He moved out of the land of God's promise. Because the land of Canaan, the land of God's promise was for Jacob and his family, for God's people. Because that was the land that was to be the vehicle of blessing for the world. And while the Esau, Esau, the Edomites, thought they had a pretty good place, a pretty strong place in the hill country, we'll see later on throughout the Bible that the Edomites missed it. They missed what God was offering them. They missed the goodness that God was offering. In fact, uh, uh, later on in, in Numbers, the, the Israelites come through. They're coming towards Canaan and they ask the Edomites if they can pass through. And God, is, God has even told them, he said, hey, you're not going to fight with the Edomites. They're your brothers. You are here to bless them. You're, they have been blessed with this land and the land of Sarah to be their possession. You just go on through and you pay them for everything you need. You pay them for water. You pay them for land. Because God's family is to be a blessing. To bless those people as they, as they move on through. As they let them have their place. The place that God has put them. The Edomites wouldn't do it. They didn't let Israel go through. Israel didn't fight them. Israel actually went a long way around to avoid uh, the hill country of Edom to follow God's command. But it didn't go well for the Edomites ultimately. They did not partake in God's blessing. They did not recognize God's family that had been placed in Canaan, their brothers, the nation of Israel. Instead, they laughed at Israel's destruction. They took part in attacks against Israel. And the prophet Obadiah issued a stunning judgment upon Edom saying that they will be wiped off the face of the earth. Because God's family is the vehicle for blessing. God used his family for blessing, not only, not just, not privileging that family, not just privileging that family, but using it for the blessing of the world. Esau and his descendants missed out because they didn't take hold of the blessing of God through the family that God had chosen. They could have come in. God welcomes anyone into his family. If you're here this morning and you think, am I, am I missing out on God's blessing? He's welcoming you into his family. Gifts of, of, of the things that you have, he has given you gifts and your ability. He has set his image on you. But the thing he wants most for you is to be part of his family. Because his family is where the blessings flow. They flow into you in his family and they flow out through you for the blessing of the rest of the world. And God's family is in fact a family. We have seen the mess of that throughout Genesis. We have seen, but, but what we see in this, what we see in that God used his family, even in a mess of a genealogy that doesn't always make sense, is that God did not give us simply a system or a set of propositions to make sense of the world. He gave us a family to make sense of the world. And through all the mess of the family of Israel and the descendants of his through the nation of Israel, through the mess of the family today in God's church, 
That family is headed by a perfect person. And now, even though the Edomites had kings before the Israelites, now in our family we have a king. Through God's promised family, through God's blessed family, through the family of Jacob in the land of Canaan, we got our King Jesus. And he is king over the whole family. And what's so good about that is think about all those times that, you, that somebody's trying to explain something to you. It goes like this, and it goes like this, and you do this, and this, and this. You're like, can, you just, can you just show me? Can you just come with me and show me? That's what God did in Jesus. He didn't give us system. He didn't give us a set of propositions. He gave us a person and a family. And sometimes that's hard for us. But as we look to God's word, as we see that he's put everyone in his place, as we work together through this with the family of God, as we work together following our head, the head of our family, the King Jesus, we make sense of the world and everything starts to fall into place. All the good things, all the hard things, all the challenges of this world make sense in light of Jesus. Because only Jesus can take all the bad and turn it into something good. That's what Jesus did when he came to earth, is he took all of our family mess upon himself. All of our sins that he carried with him, that he took them to the cross and he put them to death there. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, the chapter that we come back to every year at Easter at Resurrection that he took all the sins, all the divisions, all the hostility and nailed them to the cross, making one new family out of two. The Edomites should have come in. They should have come into God's blessing. They should have come into God's family. God wants every one of us to come into his family, to receive the forgiveness of sins, to receive the blessing of Jesus, and to pour that blessing out to the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you make sense of the world around us. We pray that you would help us to see everything in this world through your son Jesus, to see how he makes things make sense, how he brings good out of evil, how he offers us true and real forgiveness. Would you make that so strong in our lives that it overflows with blessing for everybody we meet? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.